If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Good to be with you as I broadcast from the house today. Uh, a little different. Obviously, I mentioned it last hour. This is not live. Recorded just a little bit earlier today. Uh, but that's okay. We got a treat for you coming up. Uh, I talked to Florida State baseball coach Link Jarrett uh, quite literally an hour ago, guys, at the time that you watched this. It's, it, was, it was very fresh. He had time for us today, and I wanted to go through some things with him and talk to him about uh, the acclimation process as he returned home and became the head coach at Florida State. But also, uh, at, you know, he's had a chance to now lay eyes on some things, not just this roster um, where he's got work to do, but at the same time, uh, he's got some real good players here too. So I think he's pretty excited about that. But also just the things that Hauser needs or what it's going to be like for him and his staff. Luckily, he was able to bring over, and I asked him about that, was able to bring over his entire staff from Notre Dame. And so they speak the same language. They're able to impart uh, the messaging uh, consistently across the board. So he can be over here doing one thing and they can be there teaching it over uh, in another area. And we know everything's um, going to, to be consistent. And I think that's important, obviously, but he's got to be able to recruit in order to be able to recruit and get great players in here and compete with the money that the SEC has, the money advantage that we see these SEC schools have. In many cases, the facilities advantage that many of these SEC schools have now. I did want to ask him a big picture question about the immediate effects of some of the changes that they've made, both 
you know, in-game effects that that will have in terms of uh, some of the sod that's been laid, the new sod, and also some of the artificial stuff around home plate and the baselines. But then also the stuff that they're doing with the bullpens and and what needs to be done, what still needs to be done, the long-term uh, view of what Florida State has to do in order to be able to be competitive. And I think you're really going to enjoy uh, a thorough conversation that I have with Link. He did a great job coming in here today and working with us and talking about that field construction, that bullpen construction, the roster, the upcoming season, uh, and everything that has gone on since he transitioned. So we'll be doing that here in just a minute. It's a lengthy interview. Uh, at the end, of course, we still have uh, probables, just one game today for for uh, baseball, almost at Florida State baseball. Soon enough, guys. Uh, but I think you're going to enjoy the Link Jarrett interview. So that is all forthcoming. Stay with Jeff Cameron Show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, and War Chant TV. The Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk show 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It's my pleasure now to be joined by the head baseball coach at Florida State University. Second time we've talked. I'm excited. He's had a chance to get acclimated again, if you will. Link Jarrett joins us now on the Jeff Cameron Show. Coach, how are you? Good afternoon. Thanks for taking time. Jeff, always great to talk with you. We're starting to settle in here a little bit. Things are not as turbulent as when you walk in the door for the first time in 25 years and it's been fun to be on the field with the kids and watch them move around a little bit and uh, just to try to assess their skills and the new field construction, some of the things we've been able to pull off in the last few months. It's been refreshing to me and I, I think makes the players' daily work much more efficient. So it's been exciting and we're finally looking at seeing another team in a little scrimmage, which is always Great on both ends. Kennesaw State, I've known Ryan for a long time. They have a great program. And for our guys to see somebody in the other dugout definitely helps. It's a win. Yeah, Coach, I'm going to ask you about some of that construction with the bullpen and around home plate and all that here in a minute. I am excited to hear your, your take on that. I do wonder, you know, the last time we talked, you had just been hired. We welcomed you back to Tallahassee. And uh, I was thinking to myself, man, he had a lot to get to. And one of the things, it's always an interesting process, but probably one that I would guess has made a lot easier and that you were able to bring over your staff. And I know that you mentioned the other day, messaging, for example, just having the ability to know that all those coaches and you are on the same page so that while you're doing one thing, maybe they're doing something else over there, but the message is the same. Talk a little bit about how much easier that's made the transition and also, you know, being on the same page at all times certainly makes things a little bit more efficient for the players as they pick up your messages. No doubt, Jeff, when you get to Notre Dame, I, I had coaches that I had never worked with before, and clearly I had 40 players staring at me, wondering what the heck I was talking about half the time. And, and I, sometimes the coaches felt the same way. Your system and how you do things on the field, in the locker room, scouting reports, even with the recruiting, there's a template and a roadmap that you feel works. Now, the recruitment 
at a private school, which was a national recruiting effort at, at Notre Dame, it, it was a little bit different. And the coaching staff that I hired there had to have an understanding of what it was like to recruit nationally and managing private school recruitment and the academics at that, at that level. Once we spent our time together there, not only was it very evident that, that these guys were phenomenal coaches and recruiters, but I think we spread our wings a little bit and, and learned so much more through recruiting at Notre Dame that will help us here at Florida State. Florida State is, I mean, it's a global brand just like Notre Dame was. Now, when you have the benefits of a state institution that has some scholarshiping in the state versus what it looked like at a private school, clearly it helps for that roster to have a basis of Florida students. That, that does help. Now, we do need to be able to go out and extend and reach to other parts of the country to recruit the talent that you have to have to compete at this level. So I think those converging factors made it very easy for me to invite my staff with me and Rich and Chuck and Brad and Sean, who's in a player development role. Now, when you start to get to the communication with the players on how we do the X's and O's on the field, I could step out of that if I needed to, because through our experience at Notre Dame, the pieces of how we want to run our offense and how we want to do our pitching and catching and our infield and outfield defense and alignment and scouting reports, you can take that from program to program. But I think the overall reach that we learn through recruiting at Notre Dame will help us at Florida State. And with the Florida knowledge that Rich brought in and I brought in coming in here, like we, we had that box checked just naturally from, from our history with recruiting. So, Jeff, it's been phenomenal. And it's allowed me to focus on some other things here at the facility, which, quite frankly, if the coaching staff had been new together again, mm-hmm. we would have had to spend a lot more time trying to figure out where our left fielder needs to stand and where our center fielder goes and what our outfield shifts mean, so on and so forth with the actual tactics in the game so those guys have been a blessing to the program and myself and we 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 have a great time trying to push this program forward here i'm always fascinated coach uh link i'm wondering how long it took you we're talking still big picture stuff here but people remember you as a player you're back here as a coach and i I am kind of wondering how long it took you in your coaching career to kind of figure out what it was you valued what it was that made you unique in terms of your coaching style. You talked about what works for you and how it works in recruiting, how it works in teaching, how it works in daily practices, what you want to do with facilities. How long did it take you to develop that over your career as a coach till you decided, you know, I think this is what works for me. This is what works for us. This is how I can teach it. And this will be what is most efficient and best in terms of my efforts as a coach. Well, you start as a player and and I, played for a, a good while. I wasn't I wasn't a super talented player, but you start to watch as a high school player, Jeff Hogan here in town, great coach, just taught me a lot. And then Mike Martin, clearly just a, a phenomenal leader of young men and a tactician at the highest level. So you start to even at a young age draw upon some of the guys you're around that you see influence players around you and yourself and you start there and then you go into professional baseball and some of the guys I got to learn from Don Zimmer and Don Baylor and Art Howe when you're around those type of guys in game settings and spring training environments in the locker room on the bus you just start to soak it in and you you learn 
things that happen on the field that are done in a manner that you would like to emulate. And you see tactical pieces that, that go on in games or instructional pieces or how somebody works with the catchers or how the first baseman handle things. Like what are the infield depths and, and the positioning and how do you do double play pivots? Like what, what are some of the messages that work as you evaluated this? Then you get your hand at coaching and you have to start presenting this thing your way. So you're blending the things you've learned as a player and as a, you know, infant level coach, when you first step out on the field at Flagler College, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew what worked and what I had learned through the years. So then when you're actually in the instructional phase and the wins and losses start to ride on you based on your decision making and your recruitment and your your tactics um, how you train, how you practice, the timing, the strength and conditioning, you start to create your recipe for building a championship program. And as an assistant, you have suggestion mode. And then when you get your head coaching job at Greensboro, now these are your final decisions on essentially everything that's going on in the program. So I felt like I lined this up for shoot, I don't know, 10 or 12 years as an assistant. Now you're the head coach. And I think there's a learning curve that goes into how you handle things as the head coach. Now you're hiring staff, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning, the calendar of practice, why you do the calendar of practice the way you do it, the game schedule, like when you travel, why you travel, what time you take batting practice. There's certain things then as the head coach that you have to figure out. And I felt like I was in my mind, ready to be a head coach after so long as an assistant. Then three or four years as the head coach, I think you start to learn and feel what works correctly for you as the head coach. So, and when you've done that in multiple programs, yeah. you feel like you have a system that works, but it is not an easy process. And it's something that evolves as an assistant in different areas, then as a head coach and figuring out what works for your personality as the head coach, and then how do you move that system to different programs? It's always interesting to me, Link. I appreciate you taking us through what it was like to go from being a player to an assistant coach to a head coach and learning all that that entails. And the reason I love it, I love talking to people after they've arrived at a place that's worked so hard, they've worked so hard to get to. You learn from everybody, no matter the subject, whether it's baseball, like we're talking, or somebody who teaches math, that you, if you think you know a subject, it's not just when you do it, it's when you have to teach it. And then, so it's one thing, you were a great player. You thought you probably knew a ton about baseball. You probably know now, oh man, I really didn't know anything back then. I, there's so much more that you learn when you see it from yes. another lens, right? It's, it's fascinating. It's, and the scary thing is when you think you know it, and then you learn that, man, I didn't really, I didn't really know it. And <laughs> it's fascinating. I remember, I wish I could remember the professor, but third person teaching is, is what you're referring to. Right. You really don't know it until you can teach the material to somebody else. Correct. In a way that they can master that material, whether it's baseball, whether it's some of the, the Mark Ziegler's communication class, which I, I love. But I remember I remember those concepts of you truly know it when you can step back and teach it versus just 
the material being digested to you personally. So yeah, and you have to know I, it from every direction because of the questions you could be asked. They're all different, and and your ability to then instantly recall, understand, and then teach, as you say, to to be able to relate to the person asking you. And you have right. to do it with your student athletes, right? Um, and that's what we discuss with a coaching staff that they're now able to teach the things that I was trying to it wasn't that they didn't know baseball it's my terminology and language and mm -hmm. tactics were a little different so the third person teaching initially was those guys now it's the fact that these guys can teach it yeah because they know it so well yeah so basically second full week of fall ball how do they look what have you learned Jeff, I, I like our group i i think there's a separation right now i do see that we have some exceptional players that have been through it and they may not be juniors and seniors, but there are clearly some guys that have been through the battles and get it. I didn't recruit the income. So learning the incomers and where to put them, if you've recruited the athletes for in some cases, three years, you really know where you want to start, at least start with those guys. Well, for us, the onboarding really came from shoot, I would say July, August, and you can watch video and you can look at statistics, but until you see them in front of you competing a little bit, you you don't know where to move with positional changes or stuff on the mound. Are there things that guys need to do to ratchet it up on the mound? So we're at that point right now, and especially with some of the younger players so these freshmen are learning right now like on the mound there has to be a separating factor for you and, and they're young they're not as physical as a Montgomery or a, a Wyatt Crowell those guys are a little more physical they've been through it so then you take the Ben Barrett's and the Jamie Arnold's and you're trying to figure out what separates is it maybe the velocity as it ticks up is it a secondary pitch the use of a secondary pitch because when they're going out and facing some of the older hitters some of those guys that have logged 400, 500 college at-bats, they've seen it. But the younger pitchers haven't necessarily seen the capabilities of some of the older hitters. The position players, the guys behind the plate, the infielders, the pace of the game, the velocity with which the ball comes off the bat, the difference in facing a Wyatt or a Montgomery versus facing the, the high school pitcher. So the growth from the young guys is – what we need and some of these young guys are going to factor in and them learning and progressing we have that separation i see older guys experience physical and then a group of younger guys that we've got to we've got to push them along to try to get them to mesh and have more of a look of of the experienced college player that's that's what i see right now Kind of curious, Coach, uh, circling back at the outset, you made reference to working hand-in-hand, -hand, and I know I read this as well. You said you worked hard with Chip and, and others as to those who came in and helped field construction, whether we're talking about the bullpen or the difference in the dugout. But I was, in particular, to be honest with you, I was really fascinated by what you were describing, or at least from what I've read, around the plate and the turf and working with them to get what you wanted. What does that mean? I mean, I know what that looks like. I've seen it. I've been over there to cover football, and I can see the changes. In the but what does that mean when you say you're working directly with the manufacturers about how you want it to – I think I think you're saying how you want it to respond? Well, the turf evolution is fascinating. I, I had never been on a, a turf surface as a coach other than 
the opposing coach. And when you roll into Louisville or Virginia Tech and you jump on their turf, Wake Forest, yeah, you you know you're on turf, but you haven't had discussions with the manufacturers as to what they can do with the modern day turf. They are creating a turf surface that emulates the clay, the dirt field, mm-hmm. but there's total consistency with it. So, for example, at our home plate circle, it plays like dirt. And when you're in it, it's ground up olive pits, like the core pits of olive. They grind that up. The huh. material's really neat. So when those, when those cleats are in that turf, which is filled with the olive core, it has the look and feel of a clay batter's box. And if I walked you up there blindfolded, you really couldn't tell what it is when it's done correctly with the newest product that's available. So you have that. You also have the batter's boxes that are always down. You have the foul lines that are down. And the base running from home to first and from third to home, it takes place in an artificial surface, which doesn't need water. It doesn't need to be chalked every day. It doesn't need to be groomed and edged. You eliminate a lot of the headaches you have in that area, and you have a much more consistent surface i know for a long time here the front of that plate it happened in our game when we played our notre dame team was here our second baseman jared miller chopped the ball in the front of the plate and the thing bounced up their second baseman i think it was green basically caught it in right field and we scored the runner from third obviously and the guy from second so the maintenance of the front of that clay it's almost impossible to keep up when the temperatures and the heat here gets to be the way it is and because of the roof the the roof structure at hauser you never could really grow grass so behind home plate that grass was always a battle and we've eliminated that i know they put turf down 20 years ago we just pulled that turf a little closer and brought it into fair territory by two feet around first and third we moved the turf away from the bases a little bit so there's more dirt keeping the activity a little further away from the edge of the turf. That's where we ran into trouble here previously is that turf around the bases almost got, it was too close to the action. So that lip and the dirt worked its way into the edge and we've eliminated that. So this is a win. Eventually, Jeff, we'd like to take that warning track, the dark brown turf. We're going to try to run it all the way around. So you're not going to have the dust in the bleachers, in left field and right field, it's just, it'll be a better situation for the fans. That's pretty cool. And I was thinking about it too. If you were a hitter, I suppose it would impact the way you understood uh, certain types of bunts. You're going to get the same reaction every time, right? Like, so you'd be able to understand what you were doing when you lay a ball down. That ball is coming off the front of that plate. It's going to be the same way every time. Your catchers, they're not going to have some awkward high kick off the the hard play you're not going to have an issue where it's damp or muddy as the you know the temperatures in the night game sometimes as that drops you'll actually see the moisture work its way up you're not going to have to deal with any of that and we practice the difference in us and what you see on tv like last night the astros stadium those guys don't practice on that field every day like it's a big league stadium and they play 162 games. Well, 81 of those games are on the road, and that field can be manicured and taken care of, and a college field gets beat up far more than a major league field. So you have to look at how you want to practice, and 
take that into account when you're building your facility so that you're creating a consistent environment, but also an efficient maintenance program that you focus on maybe some things that you should focus on versus fighting the fight in some of the areas that you seem to not be able to win the fight. So let's eliminate it. One of these days, you and I are going to do a separate podcast where I'm just going to ask you questions that others might find boring, but that you and I would love about fields and how to arrange. I love this. I find this fascinating. But in yeah, the, interim, well, the bullpen, to... hey Jeff, I'm telling you, the bullpen area, what we've done down there, yeah, the space was there, but it wasn't productive space because the it wasn't level. The turf wasn't level. It wasn't the turf that stays cooler. The turf that we put in has a substance in it that keeps the temperature. 35 degrees lower than it is oh, wow. if it's the normal turf. So when you think about it, right field at Hauser Stadium is very tight. So we now have the bullpen in right field, but we've added space on the back end of the bullpen that is bigger than the actual bullpen. And it keeps the guys out of harm's way when you're standing in right field and you're 250 feet from home plate and balls are flying around. They can go into this auxiliary space and do their mobility, their arm care. They can do some basic conditioning, their agilities. They can throw. It's 90 feet long. It's yeah. about 60 feet wide. So we just took some of the space that we don't have in right field and put it in a better area where they don't have to dodge line drives and outfielders running around. It's great. That's very cool. And it's, uh, that's the immediate impact as you come in and work with Chip and others. Obviously, those that have been big-time boosters for Florida State Baseball, getting to know them, the people who care deeply about the program and want it to succeed. These are all the roads you have to navigate as you come in and take over the helm. And I'm curious, what are the long-term plans? Uh, short-term, I mean, you may not have all day, I understand, but we're hearing about the immediacy of the things you've done right now. I'm curious what's possible for Florida State uh, over the next, say, five to seven years. I'm not talking about wins and losses we know you got to win games i'm talking about like projects in your mind that you think will modernize florida state and give the best yes. opportunity for you to recruit at an elite level etc well we put in a camera system so we now have six cameras and we started scrimmaging last week so the footage that we can obtain from the open side of the hitter the open side of the pitcher straight center field and behind home plate those camera angles are invaluable instructional components to what we do. And it's the library. It's sitting right here behind me. This system is phenomenal and you can zoom in and the technology, whether it's turf or the cameras or the analytics, it gets better every month. There's something that has improved. So we got that camera system in place. Now, as we learn it, like this isn't a five year thing, but it's a five week piece to learn how to use this and, and get it to the players correctly. So we've started that. The tradition room, Jeff, we have to update that area. The tradition room is great. But when you start with the idea of the tradition room, this has probably been a 30-year project. The way the displays are visible now has outdated itself. So yeah. we need to update the, the players in the history of the program. It's, it's second to none. We need to digitize and update how we – display the history of the program so the tradition room and my talking to mike loin about it his name's on it that's that's something we need to do it is it's just outdated the effort is phenomenal like everybody did what should have been done when this started but clearly when you fast forward 25 years and you filled up the walls we have to update that the batting facility jeff it it needs to be addressed there are some issues in there and we've 
we've addressed some of the basic things that I could pull off with the visibility and with the surface itself, but we need to address that building and long-term, it probably needs to be something that is enclosed. All of the debris from the concourse works its way into the batting facility. So you have trash and peanut shells and squirrels get in there and it's in the wind. It's such a, it's very hot in there when it's warm and when that, the wind gets in there. So when you're trying to do things and the nets are blowing around, ideally in this day and age, that facility should be an enclosed climate controlled space. So that's something that needs to be done. And then for the fans, Jeff, these are the best fans in college baseball. I've been everywhere. There's nowhere else I can go coach as a, as an opposing coach. I've been through it all, all the SEC places. I, I've seen it all, the Texas schools. Our fans are the best, and they deserve a functional space to come enjoy 40 games. We have a chance to play 40, maybe more home games at Dick Hauser. So I want the experience to be what it should be for the best fans. I want the, the restrooms to be functional and clean. I want the seating to be comfortable. I would like to at some point address the, the coloring of, of the seats. We have a lot of different colored garnets and Michael has done a great job. We've tried to incorporate more garnet. So the facilities have moved away from the traditional, that hunter green, but some of the garnets over time fade. So we need to address some of the basic refreshing pieces to a facility that has to happen. The sound system, I had them come out last week. They altered that. I had some concerns with the sound system for the fans. We're changing the scoreboard template a little bit so it's more fan-friendly. We're putting in a new backstop net. That'll, that'll come in later this fall. The old one is not fan-friendly. It's not eye candy. It just it's, it's a little bit distracting. So the netting is almost transparent that we're going to put in. It'll be much better long-term. There's talk of what we need to do with Hauser overall. We have some water issues that need to be taken care of. I know campus is working on that. There are discussions of would this stadium be better suited to go over near college town. So, Jeff, in the next five to seven years, I think you're, you're going to see a lot of movement in one direction or the other. Hauser's historic, and there have been just phenomenal players and moments and games and things that have gone on in the stadium that – it's appealing. And when you walk in here, I think you, you go to some of those places in your mind of some of the great moments in Florida State baseball. So that is one reason we'd like to keep this thing fresh and, and there's pull to keep it right where it is. But clearly that batting facility and some of the other just structural upgrades and updates that we need to do will, will give the fans a, a better experience. I, I think there's also talk, Jeff, about could we make one of the bleacher areas more of a picnic type viewing spot instead of standard bleachers now what does that do the capacities i I don't know but there has been a conversation about could we make left field like that bleach could we make that a a more like like the 18th hole golf course like you have people that can stand and eat and hang out and it's not just traditional seating so there's a lot. And Jeff, I will say this. People have donated in, in our chartering, our flying for the number of games we play and the length of a weekend series. This is not a football game, basketball, soccer, where those teams go play one game and they come home. We're going Thursday night and we play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we have to get home. And the, the flight situation for us when we have to fly is very difficult and it's costly. So some of our 
fundraising efforts have to simply be to offset the cost of the necessity to charter some of these trips, because quite frankly, we can't get out of Tallahassee and get back in a functional time frame to play these three game series. So that's something we will always have to, to push for. Link, this is music to my ears, buddy. I have been covering Florida State athletics for well over 20 years. I was there at the same time you were there. I love Florida State baseball. I bring these concerns up on my daily show for years and years and years. I feel like we're just scratching the surface. This has been fun. And I know everybody gets excited. Just the fact that the schedule came out and there's a game, an exhibition game coming up, and we all know that. But now baseball's on our mind, and it's great to catch up with you. We'll do it again. Obviously, we'll have plenty of chances before the season starts. But it's good to talk to you again, Coach. Thanks for spending so much time with us, and I appreciate the insight a lot. Jeff, loved it. And we'll have that we'll have that off-script discussion if you want to yeah. talk to us. We might need to come out here and walk around, and we can really dive deeper into this because – uh, I know you love it. I love it. And, and it, it helps the players. So I, I've enjoyed chatting with you. And thank you for all you do for Florida State. Absolutely. Be well, good sir. And uh, I'll take you up on that offer. We'll do it real soon. Be good. Thanks, Jeff. The Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. And thus, as we're wont to do, uh, we will get into the probables for the matchups today. I do want to say thank you to my friends at Tallulah. They are uh, they're finally going to, not that they're excited about this, but they're finally going to get to see me. I'm, I'm going to float today, Tom. I'm going to float today. It's going to happen. Ooh. I'm going to be able to report back to everybody about the relaxation and the pain relief and the expedited recovery from working out at Orange Theory. Uh, I'll see tonight if I sleep better. Apparently, these are all byproducts of floating in their pods at Tallulah over there off a railroad. Uh, You can improve circulation and oxygen flow and reduce your blood pressure. I mean, there's all kinds of goodness. You're not going to recognize me tomorrow. Yeah, you're gonna look like uh, Dalsim, the uh, the fighter in Street Fighter. You're gonna be so stretchy and limber. You're gonna be like, uh, yeah, Ooh. Stretch Armstrong. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that was my favorite toy growing up. Was my Stretch Armstrong. I love that toy because it had a little bubble, and if you would push the bubble, it just felt even squishier than the other parts of the Stretch Armstrong. By the way, they made uh, a monster that fought Stretch Armstrong. And he had a weird alien face to him. And I got him, too. And I used to have Stretch Armstrong and the monster fight each other. And I really do miss uh, the age of being able to have things fight. Little army men fighting. Your Star Wars figures fighting. Oh, I used to have it all laid out in the living room. I had an entire Star Wars set. Yep. And, it, you know, it was awesome. I love it. My parents gave me a little container for my toys. It was a plexiglass clear castle. And it was probably, oh, I don't know, two and a half feet tall. Mm. 
And so that would be the fortress that was the basis for all battles that I had. So the Green Army men were on the front lines, figure that, yeah. for, the, for the actual full-size action figures. And so there were, you know, insurgencies and there were all kinds of counteroffensives. And the kitchen table was covered in all these things. And my dad would say, when are we going to be able to eat at the kitchen table again? Are we, are we ever going to eat at the kitchen table? Or are we just going to have you Green Army men here? And it was just, I wish we had better camera technology back in those days because I would love to see the setup. It was impressive. I think all of the things that we did yeah. as young kids when we were setting up these battles, those things are actually kind of bits of artwork. I, I would like to have that, but I don't. Well, and it fostered an imagination that I worry gets undercut by technology. Now, I'm not one of these guys that thinks all technology is terrible, but I do think that it doesn't require much imagination to pick up a phone and have a mini computer in your hand at all times or to play an advanced video game in today's world. I mean, I do think the way that you had to entertain yourself for hours on end lent itself to drawn out strategies, plans of attack, and ways to set up fortresses and the counter offenses uh, of which you speak, because you had nothing but time on your hands and no distractions. You had hours to decide that this was going to be uh, the, the, the central area of focus and that anybody who penetrated this one area would likely win the battle, but I'm going to set it up. So that's impossible. And I know every angle you're going to attempt to attack, so believe me, I've got uh, my flank covered as well here. I mean, there is no chance you're getting in here. So my uh, officers for the green soldiers, because as time went on, like most other things, you know, they got more flimsy. Um, the green soldiers, it's like cars, you know, you, you, we had mm. steel boats and now these things are, you know, just yep. it, it, they would tear right through them. Anyway, when my grandparents passed away up in uh, up in Queens, they still had in their attic green soldiers from the 50s like straight Ooh. out of world war ii green soldiers hardcore and, and they were more like yellowish green too i don't know if that's time or if that's the mold that, that back in the day was the standard but they weren't that kelly or forest green that we saw when we were kids and certainly they became popular again with the uh, the first toy story movie those mm -hmm. things were back in on shelves and, and kids bought them up but those were my officers because those things were heavy duty I mean, yeah. you might be able to kill somebody with some of those green shoulders from uh, soldiers <laughs> back in the day. Those things were dense, man. Well, so those, yeah, those are my guys who are just, you know, they, they the binoculars and the, the oh, yeah, those things, the detail and then those molds were exceptional. Yeah, I loved the scout with the binoculars, man. I had several throughout the area there. They were making sure they were keeping an eye on everything. They'd come back sometimes too to let everybody know that there was attack coming from the east. Yeah, no, and and also I would uh, note that you correctly uh, talked about how flimsy things are made today. It's a great drive-by truckers lyric. Now Cadillacs are fiberglass. Um, yeah, he's uh, yeah he's lamenting as he's explaining uh, to Elvis, who's deceased as well. Uh, that said, uh, <laughs> we should do probables. So if you'd like to hit the queue, I'm ready to go with just the two games. But by the way, I do have a complaint. My complaint is that if I'm reading this correctly, these two games today are on at the exact same time. Not right. Have you seen that? No, but I'll take a look. That's I have the uh, lay internet. All right. Well, I'm seeing 737 for both games. One on TBS, the other on FS1, and I that is not acceptable. No, no, no. You're you're golden here. No, it's because they're staggered. You only have the one game tonight. 
I see what's happening. One Thursday, one's Friday. You get, so, your, uh, you get your you get your ALCS matchup tonight with the Astros leading the Yankees, who are their sons, uh, one to nothing in that series. Yeah, Luis Severino and Fromber Valdez, your matchup uh, there. By the way, game two, Houston, as Tom noted, leads one game to none. Houston winning last night, four to two, behind the ageless Justin Verlander. It is insane to watch that guy pitch at that age and to dominate the way that he did last night uh, and to still be throwing gas late into the game. And I don't know, man. I don't know who's on what anymore. None of us do. It would seem to me to be incredibly unlikely. But I will say this. We now know. And and again, I, I don't know if he's on anything or not. But we do now know ways to preserve uh, certain motions and athleticisms, if you will, for lack of a better term, certain aspects of athletics, uh, much greater and for much longer uh, periods of time than ever before. I was reading an article early this morning, Tom. This brisk weather had me up and at him, ready to go, and I was drinking my coffee and reading my stories, and I came across this article about body mass, lean muscle mass, into your 50s. And maybe you got me thinking, maybe my brain is in that direction because you asked me about uh, coming to a crossroads, whatever it might be. But it was talk of how you could efficiently stave off some of the devastating effects of a loss of strength, which is naturally occurring for all of us past a certain age. Basically, once you get past 20 as a man to 80, from the age of 20 to 80, you may lose 30 to 40% of your muscle mass and your strength. A quick question. Was this an advertisement, an advertisement that was at the bottom of an article you read? No. Or is this? Okay. All right. Just check. No. Were you worried that they heard us talking, that the internet heard us talking yesterday? Yeah. Like, no. oh, take a look at this uh, This selfie. Wow. You know, next to that one, you know, that kind of No, thing. no, no. Not at all. It was an article by a doctor talking about ways to stave off certain things. And and he was saying, look, man, it, it's inevitable at some point. I mean, you, you are, if you're 80 years old, not going to be as strong as you were at 25. But there are things you can do to keep it from decreasing by 40%. You know, maybe it only has to be a, a 20% decrease uh, if you're vigilant and, and, and hypervigilant with certain things that you have to do all the time in terms of lean muscle mass and, and working out and sustaining strength and certain uh, exercises that you can do, which is fascinating. But the reason it interested me is that at one point they referenced certain baseball players and football players, baseball in particular, it's harder to do in football because it's such a violent contact sport. At some point, you know, 35, you get destroyed by a 20 year old linebacker running a four, five 40. And he's, you know, he's freaking, you know, five foot 11, 250, And he's running four or five. You're, you're in trouble. You know, it's going to happen. Devin white. Basically, you know, that, that guy gets to you and you're 38 years old. You're just not going to make it. But baseball and golf and other sports, that's that's different. And as long as you have uh, the ability to sustain strength and, and fast twitch, you got you got a chance. So I was I was perked up this morning feeling good about the possibility of kind of just supplementing my workouts a little bit. I just wonder if there's going to be a future for some of these pitchers like uh, Verlander or Scherzer or, you know, Wainwright pitched it. it. He was 41 this season in his last year. Yeah. He I doesn't wonder, throw hard. 
He doesn't, yeah. but, I, you know, a lot of these guys, their best month of the season looks just like they did when they were 27 years old, but then they go through these lulls, which is understandable given their sure. age. Sure. Was Roger Clemens just way ahead of his time in that regard of playing a half a season? And I wonder if teams will allow oh, for point. a player like a Verlander or a Max or whoever, let's say they want to pitch to their 43 or 44. I mean, Verlander, maybe if he joined the team in August, four years from now, could gut it out for three months and be able to do what is necessary. Maybe not 96 when he has to rear back and go get it, but maybe 94 as a good pitcher. I just wonder because Roger Clemens in a weird way in all those eras with uh, Rogers and George's box. And and then he was at uh, Houston doing the exact same thing where he's playing these shortened campaigns. Yeah. Why, why is that not the idea? I mean, shoot in the NFL as well. Gronkowski kind of wanted to do that a couple of years ago. They made him come back and play. He was late after camp. This is the 2020 Super Bowl season. By the second month of the year, he looked like himself. But who's to say that in some of these sports that you might not save some money up for a guy to play a half a season because that's the most important part of the year anyway to go along with the postseason. I think for pitchers, it really is maybe an attractive option down the line. I'm curious, by the way, as an aside, and I think these are all fun talking points. You're right. It probably will happen. We specialize everything these days. Why not time as well? But I, I would I would say to you that um, you brought up football at the end with Gronk, how much the Bucks need him back, but it doesn't look like he's going to come back. He just signed with Fox and all that. But I, I would I would tell you, I I am very – I think the most interesting aspect of the remaining 11 regular season games in Tampa is whether or not Tom Brady plays in them and how many of them – I, that guy does not want to be there. Every time you see him now, you see he's miserable and he looks terrible. He looks even more gaunt than he did before. He doesn't look healthy. This is a man who has spent his entire life being healthy and prepared. Those two things, healthy and prepared at all times, annoyingly so, obnoxiously so at times as he pushed TB12. And now he looks unhealthy and miserable and not prepared. I, I don't know that he's going to make it through the year. That seems obnoxious of me to say, perhaps, but I don't know, man. It's not looking good. No, especially because he's taking big hits as well. So if he had the offensive line from two seasons ago with oh, Ryan sure. Jensen, Ali Marpet, and Alex Kappa was a weak link, but he wasn't terrible with Tristan Worse next to him. If he, you know, he, I saw he took a league low in entering last week. I think it was seven sacks was the league low, which feels high in general. Uh, but he's taken a lot of big hits. So mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit different this year. And if you're going to get hit and you're not in a mental place where you right. want to be right. participating, you know, to, to begin with, it just feels like it's an implosion. But we'll see. I mean, that dude could rear back and find a, a different level of a-hole that we've never seen before. I, I bet that's in him, too. Well, I think that's probably in him. And maybe it's being seen in his private life right now behind the scenes. I know that this incessant yelling at the offensive line has caught everybody's intention, attention, including, including other offensive linemen around the league going, no, nah, man, ain't going to be too many more of those. I'm, I, I'm reminded of Red Fox and his, there ain't going to be too many more MFers when they were at the gambling table when somebody questioned his eyesight. I'm like, you only get a couple of those, maybe a season. He's already used them up. I don't, I don't think we're going to have too many more of those. Good work out of you, sir. Good work, Matthew. And thanks to all of you and our thanks uh, as well. 
as we talk to Link Jarrett. We appreciate that as well. Be good, everybody, and we will talk to you on Monday. We are taking tomorrow off. We're going to utilize the bye week to spend some time with our friends and family, and uh, I will uh, I will talk to you guys on Monday. Take care. Peace.